Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for once again joining us. And so excited with what's happened this week. It, it you know, it hasn't been too long that we've been on the air with this radio program, and I think we're making some strides because it continues now that the the interview that Doug Ford gave on this radio program on Monday continues to reverberate in Ontario politics. A portion of it played this morning on. The big CBC, even. And even Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star included it. We're going to talk a little bit more about what was said and the continued reaction to it. But I do want to say this. I want to say, if you're getting close to your taxes and you're looking at your money, I have, in the second half of our radio program, perhaps the greatest financial advisor. And this is going to blow your mind. If you had taken this man's advice on Christmas, your money would be up more than 20% right now. That's a 20% return on your money since Christmas. Now, this guy is controversial. I'll give it to you. But at 1230, I'm going to introduce you to him, and I'm going to play some of his advice for you, and it's going to shock you. So if you're worried about your money and you're thinking, well, I could use a 20% return in what, five, almost you know, less than six months, I would take that and stay tuned for that. Also coming up on the radio program, I'm going to give you the inside story behind this exchange between me and Doug Ford in 2016. You guys can't help yourself. Here to the public is a perfect example of the biased media. You are an example of the biased media. That is Doug Ford accusing me of being an example of the biased media. In our second segment, I am going to tell you all about that interview and include a mea culpa. What I did right and what I did wrong. And if I had a do-over, I would do it differently. That's in our second segment. But let's get back to that interview and that surprising call from the premier. I just got the word from my producer, Rebecca. Doug Ford's on the line. No, he's not. No, no, the premier is on the line. He says, put me through to the lefty. Apparently, that's that's what he said. And we, we had an interesting chat. And part of it is now forming the basis of a couple of news stories about beer and wine in corner stores, which is what really set this all off. And I want to read to you uh, from the uh, Toronto Star. This is from uh, Rob Benzie, uh, who is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star, who says it could cost Ontario taxpayers more than a billion dollars in damages to the beer store to keep Premier Doug Ford's campaign promise to sell beer in corner stores. That is because of a complex 10-year deal signed by the previous Liberal government with the major breweries that allowed the sale of six-packs in 450 of the province's 1,500 supermarkets. That really sort of sums up what we were talking about and the sort of thing that we were talking about that really seemed to get under the Premier's skin. I will uh, just head down in his story here. We're pick it up now. Sources told the Star that the same lawyers for the Ontario government and major beer companies had hammered out the accord almost four years ago are currently in high-level talks aimed at undoing it. After listening Monday to an AM640 panel on the beer controversy with Global News' Alan Carter and the star's Martin Red Kahn, the Premier called the radio show to chime in. I'm reading from Robert Benzie in the Toronto Star, and here now is the point when the Premier chimed in. Now as for the 
the discussions we're having with the beer store, I can't get into it, but uh, just arbitrarily, you guys are throwing out $200 million. Again, not accurate. You're misleading the people and the public when you when you say statements like that, or the Toronto Star does, but that's not uh, very surprising. That is the Premier on Monday in an interview on this radio program. And where he got the $200 million number is it was sort of thrown around in a conversation about what possible damages there might be. And that stems from a $100 million uh, ask or demand of the beer store to modernize its stores in return for this 10-year deal that is now trying to be undone. But you can see that Robert Benzi now at least the Toronto Star reporting, that it could be a billion. Even Travis Danraj, our own Queen's Park Bureau chief, uh, beating that story yesterday. Not that it's a competitive market. It's competitive, though. Uh, and uh, with the same sort of thing, and estimating that the cost could be north of $500 million, up to a billion. We don't know where it's going to be. Here's a statement uh, to Global News, to Travis Danraj, from the Ford spokesperson Simon Jeffries really talking about what the Premier said on this radio program. We're not going to speculate on the results of any ongoing consultations and discussions. We remain committed to our campaign promise to expand beer and wine to corner stores. I want to get back to my interview where I pressed the Premier specifically on what kind, if any, sort of penalty would he accept to be able to fulfill this campaign promise. The reality is uh, Molson's and Labatt's and Schleeman's, they're... they're, uh their sales are going to go up. Uh, we put it in 10,000 stores. Even even if people buy one beer out of those stores, that's 10,000 additional beers a day. Uh, their argument, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's not, uh, it's not very beneficial to, to the people of Ontario. Do, do you, uh, would you agree to some sort of financial penalty to get out of the master framework agreement to allow an expansion of beer and wine? Would you accept that? Well, we, we aren't at that point right now. We're negotiating uh, with a beer store, and I, I'm sure you appreciate Alan. We can't get into all the details, but uh, we don't believe uh, anyone should have a monopoly on on uh, beer and wine. And, and right now, even the previous government, they picked winners and losers. So certain retail chains uh, ended up getting uh, you know uh, getting the ability to sell to sell wine and, and beer. Other ones uh, didn't. That is Premier Doug Ford from an interview, an unscheduled interview on this radio program on Monday where he was complaining about uh, us misleading the public with what we had said. And as you heard there, the Premier did not actually answer the specific question, which is would he accept some kind of financial penalty, but went on to talk about monopoly, which is odd because... Remember, in 2015, that monopoly was really broken up, and and that's where we get this master uh, framework agreement. But I want to move to something else that continues to reverberate from that interview, and we were talking about cuts to legal aid. I was asking the Premier about that. I was asking about what that meant in terms of a human cost, and that is when the Premier made this surprising guarantee. If anyone needs support uh, on legal aid... Feel free to call my office. You will, I will guarantee you that you will have legal aid. Michael Spratt is partner at Abrogel Goldstein and Partners and a certified specialist in criminal law. He obviously either read or heard that guarantee and has sent a letter to the Premier. Michael joins me on the line. Hi, Michael. 
Hi, how are you this afternoon? I'm good. What's in your letter to the Premier? Well, this, of course, comes on the heels of a large cut, a 30% cut in funding to legal aid by the province. Um, legal aid is already stretched in, and uh, people, uh, vulnerable people, are being denied legal aid while they're presumed innocent, and that does an injustice. Uh, not only to a fairness for the people, but it also increased our justice costs in the long run. So I say that to, to the premier. Um, I remind him of his, the personal guarantee he made to you. Um, and uh, I tell him that I've got a number of clients, and I mentioned uh, one specific case where a young man with some addiction issues who is uh, alleged to have committed some property offenses is facing the possibility of jail time, uh, can't find a job, and he was denied legal aid. Um, Granting this individual legal aid would save the province money in the long run and would ensure that there was a fair and just outcome that we could all be satisfied on. Michael, uh, have you heard back from the Premier's office at all? No, no, I haven't. Are you expecting to? I mean, this is, after all, a little, somewhat of a political move by you, but you're saying that you have clients that could actually uh, use this guarantee. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I sent a follow-up letter today. I text, uh, texted uh, Mr. Ford at uh, a phone number that he uh, gave me when I ran into him in Toronto. Uh, I tweeted the letter at him, uh, and I'll be sending a fax to him every day until I get a response. I don't expect to get one. Um, I think that what he told you is political bluster. Um, and quite frankly, I think he was lying to you and the people of Ontario. He doesn't have the power to to hand out certificates, and nor is he going to. So I don't expect that he will honor this personal guarantee pledge that he made you. Michael Spratt, partner at Aberdell Goldstein and Partners and a specialist in criminal law who is pressing the premier to keep his promise of a guarantee of legal aid. Thank you, Michael, for being on the program. No problem, and thank you for following up on the issue. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Stay with us. When we come back, I will explain to you why it is so surprising to me that the Premier called me specifically. We have a history, and I'll explain it when we come back. I am going to really deep dive into something that I, I take away the curtains on something I don't think you've probably heard. And, and that is a relationship between a journalist and a politician. And, of course, you know these things can, you know, and do exist over many years, and they involve. And I want to tell you about why I was so surprised in many ways that the premier called the radio program. And that is that we have a, a, a bit of a history. And, and anybody who has covered City Hall, I, I'm not alone in this, of course. If you called covered City Hall during the Rob Ford years, you likely, too, would have some kind of a history or background with uh, Mr. Ford, the premier, that is. Uh, and But I want to talk about mine. And there is an apology to come here. There is a mea culpa on my part, and I will get to that. But I want to take you to November 24th, 2016, when I was asked to meet Doug Ford, who was then private citizen, I was asked to meet him in a downtown bookstore. His handler, who was there with him, plays a role later in this story. 
and her name is now well known to political watchers in Ontario. The book had been heralded long in advance by Ford. Here is the beginning of my interview on November 24, 2016, with Doug Ford. Doug Ford's new book arrives with plenty of expectations. Expectations Ford created when he announced its publication. There's no politician safe in this country when this comes out. And here is where I fall victim to some of my worst instincts. I am often guilty of considering myself to be far too clever and funny. And here I try and make a point with a bit of a jab. You said at the press conference for this book that you were going to name names, heads were going to roll, it was yeah. going to shake the landscape. Did I get the wrong copy of the book? No, you, you got the right copy of the book. Uh, you know, you sit back, and maybe I should show you some of those transcripts. Your head would roll. Um, uh, my family, specifically my mother, was the one saying, hey, why do you need to do this? So on the book. after you made that announcement, then your mom said, okay, you should clean some portions out. And you took portions out of this well, book? it was my family said, do you really need to say that? Now, I want to move on to the next part of that interview, because this is where I begin to press my point to Doug Ford about truth. In his book, Ford makes accusations specifically about the two journalists at the Toronto Star, Kevin Donovan and Robin Doolittle, who, if you remember all of this, they were the two that said, we saw a video of Rob Ford smoking crack cocaine, and the Toronto Star reported it, even though they did not physically have the evidence. And at the time, that was very controversial. I begin to press my point here to Doug Ford about what was and what was not truthful. In the book, you talk a lot about the Toronto Star. You say that they're not truthful. Well, they aren't. But at the central issue of your brother's mayoralty, the Star was right. Yeah, they they were right on one aspect, but they lied continuously. They lied right from the get-go, saying that that Rob... But they were right about the tape. Yeah, they were right about the tape. And your brother lied. But but they but they did lie. Let's let's go back to and Toronto you, Star. And, and, yeah, and you were you, no wait a minute because I want to get go to ahead. this. You were either deceived or lying yourself. No, I wasn't lying. I was deceived. I don't know why you're trying to protect these guys. I'm not trying well, to protect you are, them. But, let, but you're me, attacking them in your through. book, and I'm, I'm trying I'm to a, give I'm them. I'm attacking them because any credible news organization, when two people lie, saying that he said derogatory, inflammatory things about the prime minister which was an outright lie. I'm waiting for the Prime Minister, uh, Donovan, and Doolittle for the apology. That is Doug Ford, then private citizen Doug Ford, in an interview with me on November 24th, 2016. And the reason I'm playing all of this is I'm trying to give you some backstory about my relationship with the Premier and really also lift the veil on how these relationships can evolve over time. And you heard the Premier there talking about the apologies that he thinks should come to him. And what he was referring to specifically, just to remind you about this, is that there were allegations that in this video that showed then-Mayor Rob Ford smoking crack cocaine, that he used an anti-gay slur against Justin Trudeau. And I want to read for you 
This is Daniel Dale reporting in the Toronto Star on Friday, May 17, 2013. Mayor Rob Ford should resign if he used an anti-gay slur while smoking crack cocaine, both the leader of a national advocacy organization and the only openly lesbian member of Toronto City Council said Friday. In a video viewed by Star reporters, I am reading again from the Toronto Star, on in 2013 in a video viewed by star reporters ford appears to be inhaling from a crack pipe goaded by a person who is not on screen he also appears to have heard been heard calling federal liberal leader justin trudeau a quote unquote fag neither trudeau nor any of his spokespersons wanted to discuss the video friday i will jump ahead more than three years this is vice on august 11th 2016 when it was at that point the video had been seen and there was now questions about whether or not that was precisely what rob ford had said quote listen to the video you will hear it that transcript has the section as inaudible unquote kevin donovan wrote in an email when he when asked if he stood by the quote unquote fag quote again i am quoting from vice news but Robin Doolittle, who is now at the Globe and Mail, says, quote, I don't think you can hear Rob Ford call Justin Trudeau a fag, unquote. Doolittle right, rightfully points out they watched the video initially under pretty terrible reporting condi- conditions. Now, I, I, I say that because I want to give Doug Ford full points for what he is saying there, that where is the apology for that? Because much was made of that, and... It is not clear that the late Rob Ford ever said that. In fact, there's considerable evidence that he did not. But that leads me now to whether or not Ford owed others an apology. If he demands an apology, do others owe him or does he owe others an apology for what he said about them during that time, including this, what he said about Toronto police Chief Bill Blair, I'll play you what he initially said during the entire sequence of events during the mayoralty, and then also on to my interview. The police chief believes he's the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Now, as I said, on to that interview, because this is where it begins to go sideways. There is no question here that I am trying to push Mr. Ford. Now, I will leave it to you as listeners to judge if this initial question off the top is fair or not. I stand by it. Now, remember, Doug Ford had repeatedly attacked Bill Blair in public and now in print. So here, let's go back to the interview. Have you issued an apology to former Chief Blair for the things that you said about him? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me that he goes out and breaks the police act and starts accusing the mayor that he shouldn't even be involved in politics? He shouldn't be involved in politics, Blair, uh, Bill Blair, right now. You guys can't help yourself. Here to the public is a perfect example of the biased media. You are an example of the biased media. In what way? Give me a break. We're talking about someone's whole life story, and all you want to do is focus on, on the crack, focus in on the crack. There was more about Rob Ford than smoking crack. I want to congratulate you on the book. I certainly don't want to end this on a confrontational note, but I do want to point out that there are two sides to the story, which you effectively do. Well, guess what? You guys had four years. 
to track us down, hunt us down like a pack of wolves. Okay? And you can't accept, no one could accept that Rob Ford got elected. Just like you can't accept the media that Donald Trump got elected. You can't accept the average person that doesn't have their voice heard. Doug. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank Not you Not a so problem. Much. And that was the end of the interview. This was the toughest interview I've ever done. And when I watch it back now, I regret how flippant I was. I should have shown more respect to Mr. Ford. This, after all, was a book about his late brother. Should have taken that further into account. But I stand by what I asked. You cannot allow open attacks to go unquestioned, and these questions can be tough, but they must be asked. I did not attack Rob Ford, but I was not careful enough not to give Doug Ford the impression that that is precisely what I was doing. There have been consequences because of the interview that you just heard from 2016. Ford's handler in that day, that day back in 2016, I mentioned this at the top. It was Lindsay Vanstone. She is now the face of Ontario News Now. If you know Ontario politics, you know that that is the propaganda arm of the Ford government. It is financed through caucus services. It has a considerable uh, following on both social media platforms and in other forms as well. Now, when Ford declared his leadership in the wake of the Patrick Brown self-immolation, Vanstone took over communications for the now-candidate Ford. And as anchor and, at that time, still Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News, I easily secured one-on-one interviews with Christine Elliott, Caroline Mulrooney, Tanya Granick-Allen. There was silence from the Ford camp. My repeated requests were ignored. I tried back channels. Nothing. Eventually, I was told I would not be getting an interview because of my past interview regarding the book, the interview that you just heard from 2016. Now, after the leadership, when Ford won, things changed. Doug Ford came on Focus Ontario. I also anchor that program, host that program that runs on weekends on Global. It was a way for Doug to mend fences and to extend an olive branch. It was a gracious gesture, and I appreciate it. Ford told others he really felt that I had attacked his late brother and that had not been unfair. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I was so surprised to hear the Premier call on Monday. But I'm glad he did. I truly enjoyed speaking to him. I think he's a remarkable politician. I truly do. I hope he calls again. I say that without irony and with a genuine mea culpa. I'm Alan Carter. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for spending your noon hour with me. I really, truly do appreciate it, and it is easy being green. Kermit, it is easy being green today in Canada. This after the progressive conservatives won a minority government in Prince Edward Island, while the Greens won a record of eight seats 
What does this all mean? Susan Delacourt is Toronto Star's Ottawa Bureau Chief and a columnist covering national politics. And Susan, let me begin by asking, it's a nice place, uh, it's lovely out there, but what relevance does this have to Ontario? Well, we do have to be careful about that. And hello, Alan, thank you for having me on. <laughs> um, it is it is sometimes a mistake to to draw too many connections between what happens in the provinces and what happens federally. I think everybody's watching every election in Canada right now for clues on what's going to happen this fall. But what we do know is that the Greens, first of all, made history, um, not the history they really wanted to make last night. They wanted to become the first government in Canada. Uh, they fell a little bit short of that. They are, though, the first time, it's the first time we've ever had a Green official opposition in Canada. Um, Elizabeth May, the federal Green Party leader, is going to be happy this week. She'll be happy, A, because she got married on sure. Monday. That's a nice little uh, wedding present, present is it not? Exactly. And uh, Greens have been making steady progress. Um, last June, uh, Ontario elected the Green Party leader to his own seat. Uh, now, Mike, Mike Schreiner, Mike he, he tweeted out yesterday his congratulations and his excitement, but I, I guess I wonder, there seems to be so much optimism amongst the Greens that this is the beginning of a wave that will show up federally or even, you know, more so provincially going forward. Do we have any evidence of that? Well, I've been around a long time, and a lot of what's going on right now reminds me a little bit of 1993. Um, 1993, uh, there was... Uh, what a, a royal commission called, uh, Keith Spicer's commission called a fury in the land. And it was this vague um, sort of anger across the country directed at governments. The Brian Mulroney's government was very unpopular. And so what political parties were doing at the time or politicians were doing at the time was, one, putting women in charge of political parties. That's how Canada got briefly its first woman prime minister. Also, um, we saw breakaway parties getting elected. And so in 1993, the women didn't make it to, um, to the top for long, uh, but we did see the Reform Party and Bloc Québécois come out of that. So in this strange chemistry of political science, when people are angry, when people are fed up with politics as usual, um, when, you know, it's sort of a pox on all your houses. Parties <laughs> I love that, that saying. <laughs> parties that have not been in power before yeah. and parties led by women are often seen by, uh, by voters as a way to shake things up. The Green Party right now is headed by a woman and it's never been in power. So I, I'm keeping my eye on the Greens in this election. Susan Delacorte, who's Toronto Star's Ottawa Bureau Chief, thank you so much for being with us to talk about PEI and Greens. Thank you. Okay. Uh, now, quickly to, to pivot from that, because dissatisfaction sometimes elects odd politicians, like, you know, comedians in Ukraine, or perhaps this next person. Remember, I promised you the greatest financial advisor going right now who would get you a 20% uh, return on your money just from Christmas? 
Well, on December 25th, with the stock market down 15% for the month, having posted its worst Christmas Eve performance in its history, its lowest close since April 2017, this man boldly declared it was time to buy. I have great confidence in our companies. We have companies the greatest in the world, and they're doing really well. They have record kinds of numbers. So I think it's a tremendous opportunity to buy. Uh, really a, a great opportunity to buy. Ian Lee is the associate professor at Carleton Sprout School of Business. Ian, would you take Donald Trump to be your financial advisor? That's a pretty good return, my friend. I know, but <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I would uh, no, I wouldn't. I uh, and and he's been fortunate. I mean, I'll give him full credit and did his policies have helped. But uh, I think we're going in. If we're talking going into two thousand two thousand nineteen, the storm clouds are looking. Um, uh, more and more gloomy. Yeah, but everybody keeps saying that. But the, the, the I look at the I markets yesterday broke new records. Yeah. So let's make a distinction. And I do think this is important. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Let's distinguish uh, China, which is slowing down for sure, for sure. And I read as much as I possibly can coming out of there. I've been teaching there since 1997, just got back. China's slowing down. Europe is certainly slowing down. Ottawa, meaning Canada, is certainly, sorry, I'm from Ottawa, of course. Um, Canada is slowing down. The anomaly in all this is this thing called the United States. And part of the reason is because he, it's not that the economy isn't trying to slow down. It's, there's a counter, counter force in the U.S. called Donald Trump. And he's been, as we know, cutting taxes, which is a form of stimulus because it's putting more money into the economy. And he's been slashing regulations like crazy that are stopping companies from expanding or growing their business. That's a different type of stimulus. It's not an actual pushing money into the economy. But if you make it, pardon my language, but if you make it a hell of a lot easier to run your business, less, less interference from the EPA, this, and the energy department, that, and so forth, that is a form of stimulus. So he's been count, and then of course the the listen, listen. You can say hell, but stop saying saying stimulus. It's it's okay. weird and okay. gross. <laughs> okay, and so where I'm going with this, and then he's doing, you know, the uh, because they're the largest economy in the world, still are by the way, still larger than China. They can do the protectionism of putting, uh, uh, you know, tariffs on foreign products, which is sending strong messages to companies relocate offshore back, reshore back to the U.S. and so you've okay, I'm so, I, listen. I'm gonna. I, I got to call you on this, Ian. You, you, you just you lost me. Um, he, let's get back to Trump. Would you buy sure. what Trump is selling? Are you talking his policies or his investments? I just like. Would you say? Would you put money in the stock market right now? He's in like. He's US, saying, do it in the U.S. Yes, but not in not in Canada or Europe or China. Ian Lee is the associate professor at Carleton Sprout School of Business, uh, (laughs) and uh, he would not use POTUS as his financial advisor. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks a lot, Alan. We've had a tremendous amount of fun in the last little while, and I am going to now stick my neck right out there. Uh, Here we go, folks, like Game of Thrones style, right there on the chopping block. I don't care about hockey. I don't care. I just do not care. Like that great line from the hip song. I never heard, I never saw someone say that before. Well, let's take the long way home, shall we?
and I'm going to help loosen your grip on Bobby Orr, I'll tell you that much. Here is why I hate hockey. It, I didn't start this way, and I want to make a distinction. I don't hate the Maple Leafs. I feel sorry for the fans out there. I was not tremendously invested. I would have loved to have seen a win. There is nothing better than being in a city that is going on a Stanley Cup run. And this city, I would rejoice every step of the way. But I am not going to sit here and tell you that I am some giant Leaf fan who watches every Saturday night. I'm not. And I think for sports fans, I hope that's refreshing because I'm a bandwagoner. When the Leafs are in the playoffs, I'll watch, I'll drink with everybody else, and the deeper they go into the playoffs, the better it is. And I, I, I wish, I wish we were going further in the playoffs. But I'm not mo- emotionally invested, not the way I am with the Raps. And I'll get to the Raptors in a moment. But I want to give you a little bit of a backstory about me. I grew up in Burlington. I worshipped at the altar of the blue and white, just like everybody else growing up as a kid. You know, my dad took me to. to to games at Maple Leafs at Maple Leaf Gardens. We were sat right at the top. I swear, my memory of this as a young kid, maybe I was eight, I could swear I could have reached and touched the roof. Then later as a preteen, I, I got some tickets. I don't know how. They were great tickets. And I saw Harold Ballard. I remember he would be in that little box thing down low looking up. Amazing. I saw it. Sittler, Salming, Palmatier, they were my heroes. When I played street hockey, I was always Sittler, deking them out. Or if I was in goal, I was Palmatier. You know, then I grew up, and, and, and my first professional job was in Vancouver. In, in the early 90s, I moved to Vancouver. And so I was there in Vancouver when the Canucks made their run to the Cup in 94. And what an exciting time that was to be in that city. And I was there on Robson Street in the wake of the Game 7 loss. When the riot erupted and the tear gas started firing, I was there live on the air, tear gassed, live off the air, choking. That was me. And then when I moved to Edmonton for another job, I still loved hockey. I'd go to the Oilers games. What a hallowed hall that was. I mean, it wasn't the city of champions anymore, but still, you could feel it. You could smell it there. But then, after losing a job in Edmonton, because that's what happens in this business, I was moving back and forth across the country, and it was, a, I guess it was late 90s, this. Maybe, maybe 99 even. And I don't know who was in, you know, at this point I had lost track who was in the playoffs. I, whatever. And I remember, I believe I was in the Okanagan, and I was I was camping and moving my way back and forth across the country looking for work. I had gone to Calgary. I had been unsuccessful. I'd, I'd gone to spend some time in Vancouver, also no work. Uh, and I was working my way back, and, and eventually I would I would come back to here, to my home province and my home, and get a job at Global, and I've worked there ever since. But that that is another story. And I was sitting there on the dock, and... Basking in the sunshine, and I was only one on the, in the dock. It's the Okanagan, like folks, this is gorgeous. Because everybody else was in this stupid little bar, watching this game that nobody cared about with no Canadian teams. Like who was invested? Why do we care? And then all through the '90s, you know, the the players got bigger, and the and the signs got more around the uh, around the rink. And and then you'd watch you'd watch Olympic hockey, and you go, this is exciting. 
Look at that. You, know, you took a pass. You know, a guy can skate. It's amazing. And that's, I just got bored with it. And at the same time, I mentioned coming here in 99. Well, it wasn't long that I was in back in the city, in my home city, in my home province. A little something Vince, like Vinsanity took off. And I'd always been an NBA fan. I love, I love basketball, always have. But I'd go to games, and it was unbelievable. And, and the NBA took my, took my heart, and it, it, it took my attention, and it's never given it back. And I haven't given it back. Tim, the coach Cunningham, unbelievable. I'm running out of time telling my own stories. Am I off base? Do you agree with anything I've said, Tim? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, you know, I am a hockey guy. Uh, I cover hockey. I cover the Ontario Hockey League, actually. Um, and um, I'm always amazed at, at uh, the Toronto market. Always have been. You were talking about the Ballard years. Um, uh, in those years where that franchise was just so poorly run, but had great players, and you still couldn't get a ticket. Um, it's 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 an, an anomaly in in the sports world. Um, yes, and I you know the Raptors have have caught everybody's attention. Not uh, everybody's. You know, I mean, most people well, like everybody listening to me is saying, "Man, I'm a Leafs guy, one hundred percent." I mean, well, I was with a bunch. I was with a bunch of Leaf fans last night, and halfway through the third period, everybody was saying, "Because I, I really don't root for any. I don't have a rooting interest." And people were saying, "Well, at least we still love the Raptors." And I and I compare the Raptors to what the Jays were a couple of years ago, where you know the Jays struggled with attendance, and then they had that great run for a couple of years, and their Canada team again. And I look, I, I I look at the Raptors the same way because you know there were a lot of lean years with the Raptors, and and you you know Vince Carter, yes incredible influence uh, in the yeah, country. I was there, Bosh, man. I was there through all of it. I was there through the and lean I, years, too. You're, you're, so you're saying that, that this fan base is going to evaporate when the team's not good? Yeah, I think, I think, I think once, once, the, the, once this window closes, uh, I think it'll be, it could go back to the Glenn Grunwald days. Oh, of, 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 well, are you, are you kidding me? Now. How many years have the Leafs been out in the wilderness? I can't believe it. I'm out of time. I, I, Tim, will you come back on and argue with me another day? Absolutely. Love to. I thank you. Appreciate that. I, and I'm sorry. Thank you for making you listen to all of that crap about me. No, no worries. All right. Thank you. That's Tim the Coach Cunningham. I'm Alan Carter, and I'm gibbering, and I'm jabbering, and I'm out of here, and I will be back tomorrow. Goodbye.